This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Well, this is a... um, Wow, what what would you call it? An evolving news story. Police now have laid dozens of more charges against a teacher and volleyball coach in the metro region. Marcus Hicks, 32 years old, was charged with one count last week. But the RNC have now filed 49 additional charges against him. They There are now a total of six victims, one adult and uh, five who are under the age of 18. The new charges include three counts of sexual assault, attempted sexual assault, two counts of possession of child pornography, two counts of accessing child pornography, four counts of disguise with intent, three counts of breach of trust, two counts of permitting prohibited sexual activity within a household, 12 counts of making sexually explicit material available to a child, 12 counts of luring a child, 8 counts of arranging a sexual offense with a youth. Um, The accused, Marcus Hicks, uh, was scheduled to appear in court today, and he did so. I think he has another court appearance scheduled now for October. Um, Police say the Paradise resident used fictitious identities, social media applications, and concealment to arrange sex acts. RNC Constable James Cadigan joins me now. Hello, James Cadigan. Hey, Linda, how are you? All right. So uh, this case uh, that RNC are currently investigating, uh, quite a few extra charges laid here today against 32-year-old Marcus Hicks of Paradise. Walk us through uh, some of these new charges. Yeah, so I think first I'd like to, you know, make clear this this investigation remains active. And uh, we continue to seek information from the community related to these events. And, uh, you know, we want to make clear that we are approaching this matter with our criminal investigation division and members of our child abuse and sexual assault unit with a trauma-informed approach. You know, you are going to guide the process when you come forward and and allow us to understand what you need from us uh, as a part of this investigation. So at this stage, uh, we have laid additional charges uh, upon the accused, Marcus Hicks of Paradise, uh, you know, on September 6th, we did lay a single charge of sexual assault following this investigation that uh, was launched on August 23rd. So uh, yesterday, September 11th, investigators laid additional charges connected to five cases uh, that came uh, came to us subsequent to the initial uh, report. And so uh, Hicks is charged with three counts of sexual assault, attempted sexual assault, two counts of possession of child pornography, two counts of accessing child pornography, four counts of disguise with intent, three counts of a breach of trust, two counts of permitting prohibited sexual activity within a household, 12 counts of making sexually explicit material available to a child, 12 counts of luring a child, and eight counts of arranging a sexual offense with a youth. Now, Hicks did remain in custody upon the initial uh, arrest and uh, was set to appear in court on these offenses today. So, um, the total now 50, is that correct? 
Yes, that's correct. That is the current pending uh, charges upon Mr. Hicks. And the investigation is ongoing. Uh, um, a lot of these charges, we've seen these kinds of charges before, perhaps not in this uh, this volume, but we've seen many of these types of charges before. But uh, one of these, um, the names of one of these charges uh, stuck out for me, and I can't recall seeing it before. Two counts of permitting prohibited sexual activity within a household. Do you see that kind of charge very often? Uh, yeah, so I mean, this this type of charge it just uh, kind of shows the the tactics being used to uh, maintain control of of the situation. Uh, you know, allowing these activities to occur in a household that uh, the accused resided in, and uh, that allows them to be the you know essentially the one who maintains control of the space and and what goes on in it. And, uh, you know, as you can see with some of these charges is that we are now looking at uh, you know, survivors who are youth. So uh, you've got charges here that are specific to offenses upon a child. So these charges relate to how many um, complainants? Uh, six uh, cases are uh, now before the courts. And uh, as you indicated, the uh, investigation continues. Uh, I understand that uh, people came forward uh, following the um, the news from last week. Are are you still having people reaching out? Yes, you know the investigative team continues to receive contact from the community in connection with this investigation. And uh, you know, as we speak, officers are engaging in this investigation, whether it be interviews or. Uh, following up with persons who've uh, requested, you know, a discussion with the investigators to learn about uh, the investigation and, and whether they have information that can assist. In sexual assault cases, there may be people who have information but not entirely comfortable coming forward just yet. What kind of resources are out there? Yeah, it's a really great point there. So, for one, I mean, if you're, if you're not comfortable coming in to the police station to speak to an officer. You know, the Journey Project is an initiative of the Public Legal Information Association of Newfoundland and Labrador and, and Sexual Violence Newfoundland and Labrador. And it's a reliable support for survivors of sexual violence. So legal support navigators are available to help survivors navigate the justice system. And you can learn more about that program at the Journey Project website. And another important aspect of this type of investigation is the impact that these traumatic events and information even being discussed openly about these traumatic events have on our community. So it's important that uh, if you're experience, experiencing anxiety or crisis as a result of these discussions, please contact the Mental Health Crisis Line at 811. In addition, the RNC's Mental Health Mobile Crisis Response Team will respond to a crisis where and when it occurs, and they can be contacted at 729-8000. And of course, in the event of an emergency, always call 911. Are there other organizations or agencies, associations that you're working with in, in the course of this investigation? I know, for instance, that uh, Labr Newfoundland and Labrador, the Volleyball Association says, that, you know, it is, um, um, you know, providing whatever information it may have uh, and is encouraging um, people within the association to contact police if they happen to have information. So is there are there other groups? Uh, I'm thinking schools, school district, um, uh, sports organizations that you're hearing from? 
Yeah, so it's very clear as we progress through this investigation that these organizations that you mentioned, certainly Volleyball Association, the school district, and associated organizations are, are there to support our investigation, and we are there to support them with information to assist them in supporting their community and educating anybody who comes forward looking for guidance, looking for uh, you know next steps as to how they can either provide information to assist the police investigation or potentially you know find support for themselves and if a young person or or their family um is thinking about coming forward um but are still feeling i guess um you know uh some concern about that uh what you know walk us through typically how that sort of um scenario would play out yeah, certainly. That's a great point. Uh, so, you know, here at the RNC, the investigative team will be put directly in contact with anybody who comes comes to speak with us on this matter. It's obviously a very, uh, you know, sensitive and traumatic piece of information to discuss, certainly when you're speaking with somebody you've never met, such as a police officer. But what I can tell you uh, is that the dedicated members of the uh, Child Abuse and Sexual Assault Unit are compassionate and want to provide you with the support you need and necessarily you know allow you to guide us in uh, supporting you through this process and uh, if in fact you wish to provide information to assist the investigation then we'll certainly educate you as to how that process plays out and what to expect in the in the years uh, you know to come as this you know essentially this case makes its way through the court system and what kind of resources uh, are the RNC putting into this uh, investigation? So the RNC, uh, upon uh, receiving this information, the uh, Child Abuse and Sexual Assault Unit was engaged to investigate. And uh, upon that uh, you know, launching of the investigation, a major case management team was assembled. And essentially what that means is that uh, we've assigned officers to lead and uh, coordinate the efforts and uh, to utilize resources within the RNC uh, when necessary, you know, such as forensic services, uh, police dog service, all, all of these, you know, aspects of uh, an investigation that are needed at different points, whether it be, you know, a judicial authorization to search and so on. These are all different resources within the RNC that uh, can be called upon within the, uh, the guidance of a major case management team. RNC Constable James Cadigan, I really appreciate your time. And um, the phone number, if people want to call? Yes, certainly. So if you want to get in touch with the investigative team in connection with this investigation, you can reach out to 729-8000, and uh, our call takers will put you directly in contact with the investigative group. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So still very much an active investigation, and uh, he just outlined, as you know, um, the approach that the RNC is taking to this investigation and to anyone who comes forward, the kind of approach that they um, are taking, a trauma-informed approach uh, to uh, help uh, the people that come forward sort of guide the process as they are comfortable in doing so. Well, the English School District has issued uh, this advisory. they put it out through social media. Dear parents and families, the following update being shared with all schools throughout the province with respect to the ongoing police investigation. 
investigation. Um, first announced on the 7th of September, the district continues to be limited in the information it can share due to the ongoing police investigation. However, RNC have issued more information and laid new charges, which is what we've been outlining all day today here at VOCM. Uh, the English school district says that, that it recognizes that this information is concerning for many throughout the school system. Guidance supports are available in all schools and where necessary, additional supports such as educational psychologists and student services staff have been deployed to assist schools. Uh, they say we are again asking all parents and guardians to take time to have an in-depth conversation with your child or children about the importance of safe, safe social media use for everyone. It's also advising to please remember to be warm, compassionate and patient when engaging in these discussions as students will have complex feelings about the latest details. In addition to the supports available at school, students may also wish to avail of anonymous support, which is available. Uh, it's please know that students can always reach out to kids help phone at 1-800-668-6868 we have those numbers here if you didn't catch that in time 1-800-668-6868 or online at kidshelpphone.ca in addition the journey project is a reliable support for survivors of sexual violence legal support navigators are available to help survivors navigate the justice system and they're asking people to visit uh, the journey project to learn more and that is an advisory that went out from the NLESD. There's another aspect to this story, and that is the fact that uh, the accused, uh, Marcus Hicks, was also a volleyball coach. And so the Newfoundland and Labrador Volleyball Association has issued this public statement. NLVA, aware of the arrest of an individual involved with our organization, uh, they link the latest uh, stories from the RNC. The NLVA understands this case impacts members of our community. We share in your shock and concern. It says it is imperative that those with information contact directly with law enforcement. The NLVA remains in close contact with Volleyball Canada as it navigates their way through this investigation. The NLA, NLVA sorry, will provide any information relevant to the police investigation and cooperate fully as per the safe sport protocol. And they give out a lot of the same numbers that have been repeated by the RNC and the English school district. It's a lot to take in and a lot to absorb. Are you satisfied with the amount of information uh, being shared um, with and by the school community in relation to this investigation? Have you been left feeling, I guess, uh, uneasy with the amount of information that you've been provided with? Or do you feel that it is adequate? Um, it's why don't Give us a call and let us know what you have to say about that. Um, well, uh, Claudette. Linda. I know you're a Come From Away fan. I am, although I haven't had the opportunity to go see them. Well, neither did Beverly and Winston Parsons. But? They bought tickets for Come From Away this summer. Oh, because, oh, right. For, I know what hang happened. on now, don't give away the punchline. <laughs> For their 43rd wedding anniversary. They had the tickets in hand. Uh -huh. They drove from Hampton to Gander, which is a bit of a jaunt. Yeah. And the show was canceled this summer. You remember that there was a couple of Illnesses. shows that got um, canceled because the, ca the cast and crew got sick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basically, what are you going to do? Anyway, uh, so that was a bit of a disappointment. But they're pretty happy today. And we'll tell you the reason why when we come back. 
right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, of course, as you know, yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. It's just shocking to think that so much time has passed. Uh, So many people uh, affected by those um, horrific terrorist attacks. I think, I mean, Claudette, you must remember that feeling everybody had. Like, what is happening? The world is coming to an end. Yeah especially when we kept seeing the same images of the planes going through and and just it was just an existential crisis really and and then that sense of you know if this can happen what else is going to happen you know I remember seeing those images I remember being standing in the newsroom and looking up and seeing you know uh, the fire in one of the World Trade Center towers and we were literally watching that wondering wow wow what's what could possibly have caused that and then second one second mm-hmm. air, and we all just went was that a plane it was hard it's, it was you yes. couldn't get Could, your head around no, it. no we couldn't reconcile that at all you couldn't get your head around it and so uh, and then it was like well if that's ha- and then suddenly the the wire started going and it was like a plane has crashed into the pentagon the what the pentagon then you started wondering you know what about paris and london and you know what's going on Anyway, we all remember it well. The planes started landing here. They landed in St. John's. They landed in Stephenville. They landed in Goose Bay. And they landed in Gander. And, of course, it was Gander that turned that story, the horror of that story, into something completely different. So, uh, since that time, we've had this this show that sort of celebrated the the extraordinary measures that people in Gander took to help out the so-called plain people. All these thousands of people suddenly show up on your doorstep saying, oh, where are we? <laughs> what are we doing here? And how are we going to live for the next few days? So, the people of Gander figured it out. And uh, since then, of course, and many, many more communities besides, I don't want to belittle anything you know what I mean it was lots of people across this province that helped out um so since then we've it's been celebrated with come from away which was a huge blockbuster show and we had this special viewing this summer and so many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians and visitors to our province went to see that and um Beverly and Winston Parsons were among them they had their 43rd wedding anniversary they bought some tickets to go see come from away they drove all the way out to Gander Lo and behold, the show was canceled. But they're okay with it. And I'll tell you why. They're millionaires. Um, Here we go. Here's Beverly and Winston Parsons, who still have big smiles on their faces. Well, congratulations, Beverly and Winston. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I understand you, like an awful lot of other people, were excited to go to Gander to see Come From Away this summer. Um, what happened? Uh, we went to, to come uh, to Gander for our 43rd wedding anniversary, and that was going to be our celebration to go to see Come From Away. And... Uh, the night before, we had done the uh, Gander Loop and r- ran into Irving and bought uh, a few refreshments and decided to buy a ticket. And the next morning, we got up and, you know, went about our business and only to find out that night that Come From Away was canceled. So uh, we came home and I threw the tickets in on my desk and a couple of days later, I decided to check on it and 
well, it was a bit of a surprise to find a million-dollar ticket. <laughs> For sure. Did you have any inkling? Like, you know, oftentimes there'll be announcements saying, you know, there's a big prize winner, check your tickets, that kind of thing. Well, the night we got home, uh, there was an announcement on Facebook said, alert, gander winner, winner. And I was tired that night, and I said, no, nah, that's not me. So I didn't bother to get up and check it. So it wasn't until I uh, went uh, and looked at my desk the next day that I found out, yes, it was the million-dollar ticket. So what was your response to that? Oh, just a shake and, and shivering and, well, disbelief and calling my brothers. It was, it was a little overwhelming. <laughs> Overwhelming indeed. And I mean, you know, a lot of us, uh, you know, fantasize about winning a million dollars. But uh, I I would imagine it comes with, you know, excitement and it comes with a little bit of, you know, concern. Like, what do we do now? What do we do now? And that's exactly what it was. What do we do now? So uh, my brother in Ottawa uh, figured out how to contact Atlantic Lottery for me. And I contacted them and followed the procedure and way to go. So uh, what happens now? Uh, I just caught you at home. You're listening to some music, obviously enjoying yourselves. Uh, so what uh, What do you do now? Oh, my goodness. Well, the money is between me and my two brothers. Uh, one lives in Halifax and one lives in Ottawa. So the money's been shared up. And uh, my husband and I have used money and are now debt-free. And uh, we're going to buy a new vehicle. Debt-free, that has to be a good feeling this day and age. It really is. Yeah. Takes a lot of pressure off. It really does. It uh, it makes you see life in a different way. We just had a little holiday. We went down through New York and went up to Ottawa to see my brother and up in Barrie to see my sister. Uh, so we're just home from that. Uh, so, yeah, a few other plans in the works, a uh, little bit of travel. So it's going to be exciting. Well, congratulations to both of you. What a great uh, 43rd wedding anniversary gift. It definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> well, all the best to you now. Uh, uh, congratulations to you both. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. Thank you. So there you go, Beverly Winston Parsons, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador's latest millionaires. Congratulations to them both. And happy anniversary. <laughs> How could you not be, you know, excited, even though couldn't get to the show? That's great. Oh, yeah, amazing. And like she said, you know, what do you do now? You often think about it. Yeah. You often wonder what I'm, what I'm going to do with a million dollars. And then if you're faced with it, you're like, okay, now what? <laughs> <laughs> well, she has a few family members, so. Yeah. You know, I'm sure she'll, she won't have too much of a problem coming up with the ideas. Life-changing, but they sound uh, pretty happy about it all. Well, we're overdue for the news. Sorry about that. I had to share that little story with you here today, a little uh, upbeat story. Um, Noah Shepard is waiting patiently on the sidelines with the news. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we're back. Well, the Newfoundland and Labrador Search and Rescue Association is hosting this year's National Sarcene Search and Rescue Conference at the Delta Hotel in St. John's. And uh, Harry Blackmore, of course, is a longtime member of the Newfoundland and Labrador Search and Rescue Association. And he joins me now. Hello, Harry. 
Hello, how are you? I'm great. It's been a while since you and I chatted. It has been that. <laughs> it's uh, too long. So uh, tell us, first of all, what Saracen is. Saracen is a national conference put together by uh, an association of one of the provinces of territories and the Public Safety Canada, normally, formerly known as the NSS, which is the National Search Secretariat. Now, this used to happen every year, but since COVID, this is the first live conference now since uh, in the last five years. So uh, we've had it ready to go when COVID struck. We shut everything down. And we finally now have it resurrected, and we are going to put off a conference this weekend with 420 delegates from all across Canada and some from the United States. So what's on the agenda with all of these uh, search and rescue uh, officials? Well, what we do at uh, Sunshine Park on the Dover Road, we have a exercise day as if there was a hurricane hit and they had to do different exercises. There'll be a couple of demonstrations by helicopters also uh, to start off the week. Then we run into different or, uh, different days. We have a opening ceremonies with the Premier coming. We also have Minister Sage Ann coming from uh, Public Safety Canada and other officials to open the ceremonies. Then we go through. And the conference itself has different sessions on uh, air, land and water. Uh, different things and different prospects that we have. Uh, some of the land ones are some of the different uh, cases that have been done for case studies. Some have been done for rescues, as like we had one in McCovey some years ago. Uh, that's to be presented and uh, different things on the newer technology and uh, different organizations for high angle rescue, air rescue, stuff like that. Along with, we have 17 different exhibitors there for books that will be uh, showing their up-to-date new gear. And anybody who needs to get something can then find out about it there. I was going to ask you, I mean, when we think of search and rescue, we, we tend to think of things like, uh, you know, searching through the woods. And uh, and you just mentioned high-angle uh, search and rescue. We think about uh, the use of helicopters and air, air and water and all of those different areas of expertise. So what does search and rescue encompass when it comes to this, you know, those, those types of special training? Well, what happens is each... Uh piece of it has its own specialty training like when you come to water whether it's inland waters or uh, salt water coast guard are involved on the salt side of it ground search and rescue takes care of everything inland on inland waters helicopter rescue is another part of it that we have to take uh, part in to get people as we did a few weeks ago out on the east coast trail taking somebody off the zip line out there that got broke up so we had to use helicopter support to get those people out and uh, anything to do with saltwater, Coast Guard are automatically involved, along with 103 Rescue out of Gander. So everybody is compass, but is all working together in one big picture. It uh, may, may seem uh, a lot of moving parts to the general public, but to us it's a seamless operation. We just continue on. Primarily volunteers? Everybody that is to do with ground search and rescue across Canada is volunteer. We have 9,000 volunteers across Canada who are represented by SARVAC, the national organization. And each one of those associations has so many. In Newfoundland and Labrador here, we have 900 uh, volunteers, and that goes from the north coast of Labrador down through the south coast and all across the island. 
what has recruitment been like? Um, is uh, our search and rescue volunteers, uh, ground search and rescue organizations, having any difficulty with recruitment? In some parts of the province, we have some. Uh, right here in the area that we represent, and you're familiar with the Rover Search and Rescue, uh, we just did a recruitment. We had 55 people apply, do uh, the different things. We are now down to 32, but we're not having any problem here. As you go across the province in the smaller communities, some people are having problems. It's not like years ago when you got into something, you stayed there, and now the younger people that do apply into it uh, they stay for four or five years and move on with their lives because of the way of the dynamics of the province for work and everything else but uh, right now i can speak for myself uh, here as the rovers we're not having any trouble with recruitment whatsoever and we are now getting finally a lot more women into it which we've been trying for years uh, now at that that's starting to come along too so it's uh, good all the way around so primarily, what motivates someone to volunteer for search and rescue work? I think, Linda, really what does it is when they hear about people being lost, uh, they think it's not a big job to find them, but we have a lot of work that goes into it. And people get involved and like to hear about it. I think their adrenaline goes up a bit. And they think that they're helping a lot of people, giving something back to the community is what we hear mostly. And... Uh, they just want to uh, more or less help out where they can to their neighbor or whoever, and uh, they just go along with that. And like I say, it just seems to be more or less, I guess, giving back to the community because we're into ice rescue, we're into triangle rescue, helicopter rescue. And when you talk about it all, it sounds great till you get at it. Uh, we don't look for very many people on sunny days. Usually it's driving rain and wind, but... Uh, People don't mind it. They get out. They take part in it, and uh, they enjoy it. It must be that knowing you're making a difference in a very fundamental way. There's a very clear goal in mind, helping to find that person or those people. Yes, I think that's what it is. Everybody wants to help, and uh, you feel good at the end of it when you can bring somebody home and uh, give them back to their loved ones. And like now, we always don't find everybody alive some people we find that are deceased but at least we can bring closure to some of those people and some people we just don't find and uh, that's the hardest part of it but uh, volunteers give their best for it and uh, try to do the best they can with it because uh, it's trying to help somebody like you say just giving peace of mind to give them back to themselves much training needed most people do a 40 to 50 hour training course to start off with. Training is continuous, but for the basic ground search and rescue course, we follow the national search and rescue standards, the same as every other province under CSA and CERVEC. So that's a national program that everybody from here to BC trains under. And it's the average of 50 hours, but everything, every province and territory have their own specialities that they put in also. And then that keeps on going. So probably an average person would put in 200 hours a year in training alone. You said that you, uh, with the Rovers, aren't having very much trouble uh, recruiting people. Does it, it help the fact that, for instance, you know, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians always have been very connected to the land and know their environs, if you know what I'm saying? Um, we have a lot of people who are 
on the land and sometimes they run into a little bit of trouble and that's when you guys get called in. Uh, but it, does it help that we have so many people who are familiar that makes it easier perhaps to recruit people? I think it is part of it. Uh, it does help with the recruiting because Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are all outdoors people. Uh, we have a lot of walking trails that people are on all the time and I think they're outdoors. Uh, they don't mind the elements too much and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are used to this type of weather, so uh, I think once they get at it, they enjoy it, and uh, that way they bring their own skills from when they're growing up, from younghood up to uh, manhood, and see how they do, but most of them have a lot of skills that they can use anyway, and uh, that just helps with the training part of it and helps with common sense when you're in the woods. So this conference comes on the heels of some um, major and long-awaited, uh, you know, additional funding and, and changes for search and rescue in Newfoundland and Labrador. And you and I have spoken at length about this in the past. How are things now? Uh, right now, we're still working through it. We The inquiry has passed. A lot of the recommendations have been implemented. Uh, we're still dealing with government on a lot of different things. Uh, it has made a big difference now that... Uh, we do get more money to do stuff with. We can actually get more equipment for teams to use because not all teams can raise money. Uh, you don't raise as much money probably in some small little town as you do here in the city sometimes. So the association with the money that the government now has put into it, we manage it and uh, actually help each team to uh, get new equipment and uh, get their training and skills up. So SAR scene um, 2023 taking place at the Delta Hotel in St. John's uh, starting on Thursday. And you're going to have a little scenario play out at um, Sunshine Rotary Park on uh, Thursday. Uh, you say as if a hurricane hit. Now, you know the timing of all of this. <laughs> we have been talking about that for sure. Uh, the timing, well, The timing is... is we didn't know what to do with it first, but we said we'll take a chance and let's hope we don't get the real thing. <laughs> no, indeed. But if we do, we've got 420 people in St. John's who know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, right now, like I said, uh, most of the people are here because meetings start tomorrow. Uh, we have different things planned for everybody. Uh, besides the exercises on Thursday, they'll also have... Uh, their sessions in the daytime and they'll also have some refreshments in the nighttime at meet and greet party so that'll go ahead and uh, like i said uh, all the officials are here from federal government provincial government and all the volunteers from across the country harry blackmore all the best on your conference so we'll be popping down a few times you needn't worry about that i really appreciate your time thank you so much you're more than welcome linda you as you know drop by anytime all righty thank you thank you Bye-bye. And Harry Blackmore, of course, with the Newfoundland and Labrador Search and Rescue Association hosting this year's National Sarcene Search and Rescue Conference at the Delta Hotel in St. John's. Well, when we come back, uh, the sale of Rambler Mines and what that means for the Bayvert Peninsula. This is News Talk on VOCM. And we're back. Well, the sale of the former Rambler Mine has been approved by the courts. VOCM. Brian Callahan had this report earlier today. The Newfoundland and Labrador Supreme Court approved the transaction yesterday. 
Australia-based Auteco Minerals Limited will pay about $65 million for the business, calling it a rare and outstanding acquisition. It includes the Ming Mine and Nugget Pond gold and copper processing sites, as well as concentrate storage facility at the nearby Deepwater Port in Goodyear's Gulf. The operation has been shut down since February when financiers stopped funding it due to mounting losses when supply couldn't keep up with demand. Rambler sought creditor protection from the courts, triggering a sale and solicitation process, with the focus on finding a bidder who would continue on with the operation as opposed to winding it down. Hundreds of people benefit directly or indirectly from operation of the mine, the Bayverk Peninsula's largest private employer. The sale is expected to close in October, with work already ramping up on site. Brian Callahan, VOCM, Local News Now. Well, it's the Bayvert Peninsula's largest private employer, as Brian just pointed out. Uh, so what does this mean for the town of Bayvert and surrounding area? Bayvert Mayor Rex Bowers joins me now. Hello, Mayor Bowers. Hello. So uh, I see now that uh, the sale of Rambler Mines has been approved by the courts. What, uh, what will this mean for Bayvert and the surrounding area? Uh, it's uh, a little bit of light at the inner tunnel, I guess, for a lot of the area and for Bayvert and for some of the workers that were there. They maybe come back. A lot of workers moved away and some stayed and worked at other places. So hopefully they uh, get on there again. What kind of impact did uh, operation of the mine have on Bayvert? Uh, when they shut down, it was a big impact. A lot of young families moved away and a lot of houses have gone up for sale and stuff like that, right? In, in Bayvert alone, I don't know what smaller communities around felt, but it was a big impact. Are you hopeful now that this will mean a, a sort of a new life being uh, pumped into the town? Yes, it's a hopefully it's a, a go ahead for a lot of small houses, a lot of a lot of people around it to move back and start rebelling and stuff like that. Has the town had any communication with the new owners at all, or are you hoping that that will be the case? Uh, I have had none personally. I don't know if they contacted a CAO at the town. I don't think they did because she never informed me of it. But uh, hopefully we can have uh, like a meeting sometime soon, have a little chat. And, and see what they have in store. Yeah. Thank you very okay. much. You're welcome. That's the mayor of Bayvert, uh, still trying to uh, absorb exactly what this means and what uh, understand what you know will happen next as far as uh, Australia-based Oteco Minerals goes. But they have just uh, agreed to, or the courts have allowed them to pay uh, $65 million for the former Rambler mines on the Bayvert Peninsula, which, uh, of course, was a, a major economic generator in that general region. Well... Canada's chief public health officer says the number of COVID-19 cases in Canada is rising, noting immunity to the virus goes down over time. It comes as Health Canada authorizes an updated COVID-19 vaccine from Moderna for all Canadians over the age of six months. So now that Health Canada has authorized that updated vaccine, that means that each of the provinces now will start to roll out their um, fall booster Clinics. shot campaign. Mm -hmm. and clinics and the like in the coming um, 
weeks and months, I guess. Uh, they usually aim for October, but now this has been authorized, so I don't know how much time that takes. We spoke with, as you can recall, Claudette, uh, uh, Dr. Janice Fitzgerald last week and she said you know they were just waiting on this process before they can start announcing what the plans are here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well Dr. Teresa Tam says uh, the vaccine is safe and convenient for people to get their COVID-19 shot at, at the same time that they get their flu vaccine and uh, we often don't appreciate it I suppose because we call everything the flu. If you got a stuffed up nose you say oh my, I, got the, I got the flu but <laughs> Influenza is a the different beast. Actual flu is not the nice. same. And you had something. <laughs> I had something. You I had don't know something what it was. was it was kind of yucky for yourself. Yeah, and not uh, you know, lo- you know, flat on my back, yucky. But it was not nice. Mm-hmm. So that was some kind of a respiratory something or other. So there's lots of these things that circulate but when they talk about getting the flu vaccine i've often heard people say well i got the flu vaccine i got the flu no you probably didn't get the flu no you probably got some other respiratory illness uh that everybody calls the flu (laughs) you know what i mean but the flu not fun so yeah it's safe to get both covid and the flu shot if you decide to go i'll be doing everything that's available to me i get and even if you don't want to get it for yourself think about your loved ones who are you know vulnerable could be a senior in your life get it for them if, if you think more about them yeah i mean it's so important i know a lot of young parents too who are just you know all of a sudden is this is wow i've got a little one at home and they don't have the immunity yeah you know what i mean so uh, a lot of people thinking about those kinds of things whatever your motivation is go get a shot don't go get a shot but we'll be letting you know where you can go if and when uh, the provincial government would put something out. It's yeah. not if, that it will be It when. will be definitely when, for sure. I remember um, when COVID first happened uh, and everybody was kind of encouraged to get the flu shot. Well, then the numbers went down considerably because everybody was like hand washing, hand sanitizing and doing all that stuff. Yeah. So it does work. Yeah. And I think over the course of the summer, especially, you start to feel less constrained if you will you, you know do. what i mean yeah and we're going to um, be inside more in, we're going to in be inside more yeah. there's going to be more things circulating less air circulating so there you go on another note this story out of alberta is very concerning alberta's chief medical officer of health says violations at a central kitchen that serves calgary daycares hit by an e coli outbreak are linked to food handling sanitation and pest control Dr. Mark Joffe says there were also two non-critical violations linked to an odor and utensil storage at the kitchens. This comes as more than 231 lab-confirmed cases of the bacterial infection of E. coli have been linked to the outbreak at 11 daycares since September the 4th. As of yesterday, 25 children, one adult hospitalized, including 21 considered to be severely ill it's oh my goodness you know um sanitation uh is such an important aspect and you know you just can't slack off can't rush can't rush it it's it's important obviously and i i think people don't realize the importance until you hear these types of news stories that really just puts everything into perspective yeah so again with the hand sanitizing and all that stuff you know for us you know you don't have control over what goes on how other people are preparing food but if you try to 
<laughs> make sure that your hands are sanitized and that sort of thing and oh my goodness. Yes, do, do what you can. Yeah, do what you can. Anyway, uh, on that fun note, yeah, it's summertime. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, do join us then. Uh, in the meantime, have a great evening.